Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. The one thing that Kentucky lawmakers have to do before they adjourn at the end of this month is pass a state budget. After lengthy discussions this week in Frankfurt, we have somewhat of a better idea of where lawmakers may be heading with the spending plan. Governor Bashir has called on the legislature to go bold. He wants them to include projects and raises for teachers and state employees. Republicans have been talking about being more cautious, some wanting to hold back some of the expected $12 billion in revenue from taxpayers. And this week we got a better idea of the money that Kentucky will get from the nearly $2 trillion COVID relief bill being passed by Democrats alone in Washington with no Republican support. Later, the Senate Minority Leader Morgan McGarvey will join us, but first, Senate Budget Chairman Republican Chris McDaniel from Northern Kentucky he is here on Kentucky Newsmakers. Mr. Chairman, welcome. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. You uh, held meetings this week. Uh, you got a better sense of the revenue picture from the estate budget director uh, in uh, you know what may come in, what options you may have. Uh, does the fact that Kentucky uh, will get some of that uh, uh, $2 billion from the COVID relief bill change the calculus uh, with the budget planning going forward? You know, I think that the federal dollars that we will see come in, um, absolutely, they change the state's financial picture. Um, but what they don't do is change it in a time frame that allows us to reasonably get out the Commonwealth's budget um, and still preserve the ability of the General Assembly to override vetoes as we see necessary. So um, we look forward to seeing the details as they're emerging here. But I still think the state's original spending plan that you'll see us pass uh, will will be a, a very uh, conservative budget focused on the ideas that we still need to get ourselves back to a regular employment schedule and we also need to uh, make sure that the economic recovery is on solid footing these additional federal dollars will be nice but they won't necessarily um, make it mandatory that we spend those dollars does the the one-time uh, federal money uh, provide an opportunity to do some projects like maybe finishing out the system to deliver broadband to the state or uh, will those funds be uh, tightly restricted or or do you have an idea about that yet well you know a lot of the things that are coming through the federal government uh, we don't know what all the restrictions will be necessarily at this point. Um, I will say that my base understanding on the broadband is it won't be something that will be able to be used for the Kentucky Wired project. Uh, it seems to be more for delivery of that last mile of service, which Kentucky Wired is not supposed to be able to deliver. Um, so we are going to have to understand some of these federal restrictions that come with the dollars on a variety of programs um, before we know exactly how to let the governor spend those. Mr. Chairman, you've referred to a more conservative budget approach than what the governor proposes, raises for teachers and state employees in his plan. Uh, will the legislature provide that or can you give us some hints on uh, what this uh, spending plan may look like? I would say that the majority of this spending plan will reflect the fact that the Commonwealth normally writes a two-year budget. And so if we're going to write a two-year budget, um, those raises that weren't otherwise incorporated last time won't necessarily find their way into this. Um, first of all, as a matter of, of course, because the, the Commonwealth does normally have a biennial spending plan. And then secondarily, it's just a bad time to be attempting to give raises to inside of the public sector 
um, when the private sector has seen massive unemployment throughout the last year, and, and, and there's a fundamental fairness that has to be struck there. Some Republicans have called for more money to go into reserves for the state, uh, but there are several economic forecasts projecting a strong growth going forward on the national level. Uh, do you expect Kentucky to benefit from that trend, or do you feel that it is best right now to uh, uh, save for what could be another rainy day? So I, I think that the answer is yes to both of your questions. Uh, first of all, we have worked diligently over the last three budget cycles to build back up a reserve in this state. You'll recall that um, when the previous Governor Bashir uh, had left office, there was no rainy day fund left. Um, a prudent number is to get somewhere between five and eight and a half percent of uh, general fund revenues in that rainy day fund. And I think that that's something we need to shoot for. Um, but I do think, and it does appear, that the uh, nation is poised for a uh, pretty solid economy moving forward. And the good thing is, uh, when the General Assembly adjourns, we will be back here in nine short months. And assuming that that happens, we have a lot more opportunity uh, in next session to really begin to make some solid investments. And we will have a solid reserve for the next time that a downturn in the economy comes. Because it's not a question of, if it comes, because it will come. It's just a question of when, and we need to have the Commonwealth on solid footing for when that happens. If the revenue does start coming in uh, better than projected in, in this year ahead, uh, how does that, that work if you have a spending plan in place? Does the, the governor then uh, uh, have some authority about how to spend uh, what comes in over and above that? No, we, we will require all that to go into the Commonwealth's uh, what we call budget reserve trust fund, which in essence is a savings account. Um, we will require that to go into the Commonwealth savings account. And then the governor can make a proposal next January as how to spend those revenues. And um, we'll take a look at what he proposes and, and see where we can agree. And then I'm sure we will have our own priorities at that point and make some decisions. Uh, at the end, the Republicans have what uh, you know some have called a super duper majority in uh, in both chambers right now. Uh, the governor can strike out individual spending allocations with a line item veto. He can't put anything in there that uh, the legislature has not put in. Uh, do you believe uh, that the budget then will probably go about as submitted by lawmakers? It will probably. Uh the final product will probably be very, very similar to what we send to the governor. I mean, he may have some, some legitimate objections and uh, strike those out, and we'll consider them. Um, we've tried very diligently to work with the governor to the extent he allows that to happen, um, and I anticipate this process being no different whatsoever. Um, you know, when the governor succeeds, Kentucky succeeds, and when the General Assembly succeeds, Kentucky succeeds. And so we want to find the place where those priorities overlap and make sure that we can uh, do what's best for Kentucky. The legislature uh, stripped the governor of emergency power early in the session uh, with uh, three uh, bills that uh, he then vetoed, and then the legislature overrode those vetoes easily. He has sued. A judge has those laws on hold for now. Uh, the ruling on the injunction said the legislature was trying to micromanage a crisis rather than uh, provide oversight. Do you think the legislature will ultimately prevail and be in charge of future long-term emergency situations? You know, I don't think the legislature is actually looking to be in charge of emergency situations. We're looking to have input and provide oversight as contemplated in the state's constitution, 
when those situations arise. Um, and I certainly hope the legislature will prevail because ultimately what we have right now is a single individual who is rewriting the Constitution of the Commonwealth. And if the legislature is not going to provide oversight to the executive branch, um, that changes the entire nature of our government. And it's certainly something uh, that, that I hope to see us prevail in because I believe constitutionally we're mandated. This is a part-time General Assembly. And so the governor has to have pretty broad authority to act. But when these emergencies extend like this, the people who are closest to the um, electorate need to be involved, at least in providing some degree of oversight to what's happening. Senator, what, for, for our viewers out there, what would that have looked like ideally? I mean, uh, the governor says members of his administration have uh, testified numerous times before uh, interim committees and, and, and before the legislature and that there have been some discussions, but what would have been a better scenario from, from the standpoint of, of the Republican legislature? You know, I think that ideally, the governor would have involved at a minimum the members of, of leadership of both chambers and, and frankly i've heard the complaints from the democrats as well that they haven't been involved in this process that he would have brought them in and said here are here's the data we're seeing here's the actions we're taking to combat that data or to, to combat the problems that that data identifies um and i think that in large measure you would have found a lot of agreement because there there was there were a lot of things that went on that were unknowns, decisions that had to be made. But when you simply have an, one individual making those decisions with no oversight, you also don't have the ability for the elected members of the General Assembly to go out to their constituents and say, here is why this is happening. And so I think that collaborative process in large measure is what the framers, not just of the Commonwealth, but of the nation envisioned. And so that type of a process would have been more prudent. I think that there are many cases where potentially he should have had General Assembly approval to take some of the actions he took. Um, but at a minimum, the involvement of the leadership on both parties, of both chambers, to, to help um, identify some of the problems and solutions affiliated with the pandemic. Mr. Chairman, we're nearing the end of this session. What do you think the key accomplishments of this 2021 uh, session of the General Assembly will be? You know, constitutionally, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning, Bill, which is we have to pass a budget. We have to put in place a spending plan for the Commonwealth. Uh, beyond that, what people really want is businesses open, children in schools, vaccinations distributed, and masks off of their face. Uh, I think by and large, uh, Senate Bills 1 and 2, as well as House Bill 1, would have accomplished those in a reasonable measure. And I'm looking forward to the uh, the conclusion of litigation and the resumption of normalcy uh, in the Commonwealth. The Secretary of State, uh, Michael Adams, says that the redistricting will be done before next year's elections. Uh, do you expect uh, the drawing of those lines to, uh, to take place on that time frame? And, uh, and will that be contentious? Uh, redistricting is always contentious. It doesn't matter if you have, uh, you know, split chambers with Republicans in one and Democrats in the other or everybody on the same side, because there's nothing more personal to constituents and also to the elected officials than who they represent and who is representing them. Uh, so it will be contentious. That's inevitable. Um, I certainly hope uh, my hope would be honestly that the governor would call us back into a special session. Um, that way, when the filing deadline comes in January, uh, we 
everyone knows who wants to, to put their name into the, the ring for public service. Everyone knows what district they'll run in rather than the potential to come in, file under a particular district, have that district change. Um, I just think that that's fundamentally unfair to our democracy. So my hope would be the governor calls us back into a special session. I'd like to get it done now, but the fact is we just don't have the census data to be able to legally do it. Um, come back in a special, get it knocked out, and uh, let everybody run appropriately in January. I'll ask you for a quick answer on this, and that uh, may be something you want to do anyway. Senator McDaniel, you ran for lieutenant governor in 2015 with uh, James Comer. Uh, does your interest in the statewide or higher office continue? Oh, no. I, I'm perfectly uh, happy with where I sit here. Uh, you know, I get a, a wonderful position to where finance and public policy cross, and uh, I love what I get to do every day. Senate Budget Chairman, Republican Chris McDaniel, thank you for being with us today on Newsmakers. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me, Bill. Stay with us. We'll be back with Senate Democratic Leader Morgan McGarvey. He also sits on the Budget Committee, and that's next on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Great to have you with us. It can't be an easy position. Senate Democratic Leader Morgan McGarvey leads a caucus of just eight Democrats compared to 30 Republicans. It's nearly impossible for Democrats to pass legislation. It isn't easy for them to change the final form of bills. But McGarvey is still a force in Frankfurt. He shows up, he brings his progressive passion to the Senate floor and to some of the most powerful committees in the legislature's upper chamber. That includes the Budget Committee, which is right now crafting a spending plan for Kentucky, the most important business for the General Assembly right now. Senate Minority Leader Morgan McGarvey joining us. Senator, thank you, we appreciate it very much. Oh, thanks, Bill. It's great to be here. Uh, so the budget's a work in progress. Uh, the governor's proposal includes money uh, for raises for teachers and state employees. Uh, the Republicans are indicating they want to be uh, more conservative. Uh, what plan do you think eventually will get to the governor's desk? I mean, what will be in that? Well, it's going to be an interesting couple of days here in Frankfurt because we just had what happened in Washington. Uh, with the huge federal relief bill for, for COVID-19, uh, the American Recovery Act, that puts $1.9 trillion into the economy, and it's going to bring $2.5 billion just to Kentucky state government that we can use for really important initiatives, uh, making sure every Kentuckian has access to broadband internet, making sure every Kentuckian has safe and clean drinking water, paying off the unemployment insurance loan. There's some big things we can do, but now the budget we've been working on for the last couple of months has to factor that in. Uh, I think what we need to do is we need to have a rainy day fund. I agree with that. But we need to recognize the fact it's still raining and use this one-year budget as an opportunity to pair it with the money we're getting in from the federal government to help the people of Kentucky and the small businesses of Kentucky recover from what, what's been a, a really hard year. Well, Senator, the Republicans who control both chambers are pointing out it is a one-year budget and this is one-time money and it may be restricted. What uh, can and should Kentucky do with those dollars? Well, one-time money can't be used to fund recurring programs. I completely agree with that, but getting broadband set up isn't a recurring program. It's something we need now. Making sure Kentuckians have clean drinking water is something we need now. These are one-time expenditures. So what I hope is that politics doesn't get in the way. 
I hope that the Senate Republicans, the House Republicans get together with the Democrats in the legislature and the governor and say, how can we provide a win for Kentucky with what could be a once in a lifetime opportunity for all of us? I'm sure it's an interesting discussion for you in that the Republicans opposed the bill uh, in Washington. It passed with all Democratic votes, and yet it is the Republicans who are largely in charge now of how to spend the money that will be uh, coming to Kentucky. That's right. But, you know, the legislative branch here, and being a state legislator, we're the closest to the people. We understand the people in our districts are hurting. We've heard the stories of heartbreak. We've gotten the unemployment phone calls. Uh, we've seen people, you know, have their entire life savings up in their business and, and really worry about what their future is going to look like. Now we have the resources to help. And that's what we need to focus on in the waning days of the legislative session. Since we have the tools, let's provide the help. Senator, you've uh, championed a higher minimum wage uh, over the years. You have uh, a bill now that you have filed that requires equal pay for equal work between uh, men and women. Uh, do bills like that uh, have a chance in the GOP-controlled legislature? I sure hope so, because the ideas have a chance. Um, these are basic human decency principles. There's no reason that a woman is making less in Kentucky than a man doing the same work. Um, there's no reason why a family can't provide for themselves on one job. I mean, look, the minimum wage right now in Kentucky, if you work 40 hours a week, never take a single week off, including holidays, 52 weeks a year, you make $15,000 a year. That is not enough to sustain yourself. We need to have a living wage in Kentucky. And so we need to have these conversations. And I think the Republicans are seeing the same thing in their districts that we're seeing in ours. People are struggling. People are struggling to make ends meet. And we can help them in that regard. It's, it, this is, by raising the minimum wage, I mean, that's truly a hand up. With a caucus of only eight members out of the 38, how do you describe your role in trying to at least influence legislation and the, and the flow of things in Frankfurt? Uh, you know, I go back to when it was the other way. Democrats had uh, total control and there were very few Republicans uh, in, in the Senate. Uh, so what do you see the role of a, a minority leader uh, in that uh, uh, very restricted space that you're in right now? Well, first of all, we have to be a voice for the people and principles we represent. Uh, I represent just as many people as anybody else in the state Senate, and those, those people deserve to have their voices heard in Frankfurt. And that, that's something I, I'm very passionate about and think about every single day. The other side, though, is you know we're focused on the numbers of members in the Senate, as we should be. That, that makes a big difference in how legislation flows. But how did we get those numbers? Uh, much like 30, 40 years ago when it was reversed, a lot of that was done through partisan redistricting. And so the number of Senate Democrats we have right now doesn't reflect the number of Democrats who are in the state of Kentucky. And a lot of those people feel the same way about these issues that we do. And so we're a voice for them. But then also, we're the state legislature. We don't get into a lot of the things that happen in Washington. You can say what you want to about us. We are not a do-nothing legislature. We do things every session to help Kentuckians. And so we also try to work with the other side where we can to find common ground and improve things for people across Kentucky. You know, the legislature, though, uh, stripped the uh, the governor of emergency power early in this session. Uh, he overrode, uh, I mean, he vetoed, they overrode his vetoes. He sued. A judge uh, has those laws on hold uh, for right now. Uh, who do you think ultimately prevails in that, uh, in that battle as to who controls uh, a long-term emergency situation uh, like the pandemic? 
well, you know, the court is ultimately going to decide, and the court is going to have to look at a very real and important issue of the separation of powers. The legislature, we're the policymakers. Uh, we appropriate money. We set policy. But we're a part-time legislature. Like this year, on March 30th, no matter what happens, the Constitution says we leave Frankfurt, and we can't cast another vote until January of next year. We are not the type of body you want responding to an emergency, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. That, that's not what 138 people who are here only part of the year are equipped to do. That's a function of the executive branch, not of Governor Bashir, not of Governor Bevin, not of a Democrat, not of a Republican, but of the office of the governor. And so I think that's something the Supreme Court is going to have to look at and weigh very carefully. Take COVID out of it. We just saw Kentucky ravaged by ice storms, particularly in, in eastern and southeastern Kentucky. You know, it's the executive branch that can mobilize all those resources and marshal the different cabinets and the National Guard to go and respond very quickly and swiftly. And that's sort of that's what the executive branch does. Senator McGarvey, what do you hope is accomplished by this legislature before adjournment later this month? The focus has to be the pandemic, and we have to remember that the pain from the pandemic is real. It is not partisan. All of us, no matter if you're in Louisville, Lexington, or from the far reaches of Kentucky, you have people in your district struggling. We can provide that help, particularly with the money that's being provided by the federal government. We cannot get out of here without helping ease people's pain as we try to get out of this and get to the other side. You uh, won your Senate seat in 2012 uh, there from the Louisville area when you were barely in your 30s. Uh, many said, uh, you know, here's a, a, a young man on the go. Uh, and many have said that you're likely to uh, seek a uh, higher office at some point. Uh, do you have your eye on something right now? Not, no, not right now. And look, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And if an opportunity presents itself, I will certainly look at it. I'll also remind and anybody out there who, who's in my situation understands this. We have three children, nine and younger, the youngest of whom is two and a half. And I was up to uh, for about an hour from 2.30 to 3.30 this morning, and she's getting her two-year molars in. Um, so this is not a time where I'm, I'm looking to make the schedule busier at this moment. <laughs> when you look at where Kentucky is right now in, in our in our story, you know, and, and moving forward, uh, what would what would you like to see the next uh, the next few years uh, in terms of uh, where we go from here? We have to make progress and look at what we're talking about spending the money on from the the federal act that's coming down. We're talking about making sure every Kentuckian has access to the internet, which we need. We're talking about making sure every Kentuckian has access to clean drinking water, which we absolutely need. But those initiatives really only take us to about the end of the 20th century. We need to be focused on who and what Kentucky is going to be in the 22nd century. And we're 21 years into the 21st century right now. We need to be setting ourselves up for long-term success. That means investing in education, making sure that we have a solid pre-K program for every child in Kentucky, affordable childcare and kindergarten options, setting children up for success long-term. Um, these are the things we need to be focused on so we can truly continue to attack, attract the industries and the jobs of the future that we want. We have to make those investments today because the fixes for Kentucky are not overnight. They're generational. And we as policymakers need to, be, need to have that long-term policy vision to make that happen. 
Senator, one thing that uh, uh, our viewers might find interesting is that I'm sitting in the seat right now that your dad sat in uh, <laughs> about 50 years ago. Uh, John McGarvey was anchor here at WKYT back in the day during his time at UK, and uh, you said uh, uh, he and your mom are having a, a special kind of anniversary this week, huh? That's right. No, that we're going to celebrate with them. 50 years ago this week, they went on their first date, and people watching will love to know that it was at the Two Keys Tavern. Um, and so we're, we're excited to be with them. But yeah, Dad is Dad is still a Central Kentucky boy at heart, and um, and always enjoyed being on WKYT. You know, we talk about tumultuous times we're in now. He, when he was there, there were some yeah. tumultuous times, and he still has his WKYT issued hard hat. Uh, that he would take to protests and things. Uh, he still has that in the basement. Very interesting. Well, uh, give him a rest and, and your mom as well. Thank you, uh, Senator. We really appreciate you being with us. Bill, it's always good to talk with you. And stay with us now. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Before we go today on Kentucky Newsmakers, here at WKYT, we want to thank you for your help as people are continuing to recover from the flooding in eastern Kentucky. Our telethon on Monday night raised more than a million dollars. WKYT's Chelsea Jones tells us where that money will now be going. Well, certainly we know many people are still trying to recover from the extensive amount of flood damage. And after last night's successful fundraising efforts, it's now time for people to apply for that assistance. Powered by major donors and hundreds of smaller contributions, the Appalachia Rises Telethon on WKYT raised more than $1.1 million to help those impacted by recent floods. It's fantastic. Um, it, I think, exceeded our expectations um, and just shows the real power of collaboration, partnership, and what can happen when Kentuckians come together. Launched by the Moorhead-based ag tech company App Harvest, the Appalachia Rises initiative brought together more than half a dozen organizations, including the Appalachian Impact Fund and the Bluegrass Community Foundation. It speaks to, I think, the extent of the crisis and how devastating the floods uh, really have been. The funds will provide emergency relief to farms, small businesses, nonprofits, and families in Appalachia trying to rebuild. It's incredible to see our region pull together uh, in a time of need, but you know, to, it, the work is just getting started. This isn't the finish line, it's just the beginning. And you know, there, there's going to be a lot of hard work that needs to happen in the months to come. And people have until March 14 to apply for funds from the Appalachia Rises Initiative. In Lexington, Chelsea Jones, WKYT. And if you need assistance, you can find the Appalachian, uh, the application for that with the AppalachianRises.org website. And starting March 15th, farms and small businesses can apply for assistance uh, as well. Thank you so much for joining us for WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you early this week on the morning news. Make it a good week ahead.